Hi, I'm Debbie Georgiatis. Welcome to my show, America Can We Talk? Today, we're going to talk about the Biden team hoisting the BLM flag. Congresswoman Yvette Harrell from New Mexico joins me. And obsession with race, aids and abets the Marxists. And of course, I'll tell you why these stories matter to you. Stay tuned. Debbie Georgiatis, host of America Can We Talk, is an author, attorney, and political analyst whose mission is to inspire the American political conversation about preserving liberty in the best country on earth. And hello again and welcome to America Can We Talk and what is usually our first five. Today, I'm going to do my first five after our interview because we have a congresswoman on hold on the phone. I'm so grateful she was available to join us. We'll be turning to the first five in a moment to just tease it. I'll tell you that the Biden State Department has issued a statement today ordering or requesting at least that American embassies hoist the Black Lives Matter flag, put it out in front of the embassies and um, other formal federal buildings and in honor of because today is one year anniversary of the death of George Floyd. But the BLM flag, I'm going to plant that seed. We'll come back to that story after we speak with Congressman, Congresswoman Yvette Harrell. Now, I will quickly give you some background of her uh, for her. Uh, she represents uh, a Congress from New Mexico, the second congressional district of New Mexico. Um, and she uh, is in her first term. And she did when she went to Washington, among the many reasons I wanted to talk to her was she joined the Freedom Caucus. And as I mentioned to you, my happy listeners, a few weeks ago, uh, my husband and I attended a great event put on by the Congressional Freedom Caucus, um, the House Freedom Caucus, just a few weeks ago in Florida. Really got to know more of the people involved and their energy, their passion. And I really became interested in understanding more of the reasons uh, people get behind, get excited about the um, Freedom Caucus. Um, Yvette Harrell, though, uh, other little bits of background about her. As I say, she is from New Mexico. She's actually a member of the Cherokee Nation. She's also one of a large class of Republican women who joined Congress this year. This big class of Republican women uh, kind of took Washington by surprise and certainly took the left-wing pundits by surprise uh, who tried to argue that most women uh, vote on the American left. Not true. Uh, we're going to talk with her about why she ran for Congress, why she likes the House Freedom Caucus, why she joined it, and a lot of other things related to her representation in Washington uh, from the state of New Mexico, congressional, second congressional district. So without further ado, let us welcome Congresswoman Yvette Harrell. Well, good, good afternoon. Thank you for having me. It's an honor. I am so glad you're available. This is just going to be really fun. Um, I love reading about you today, getting ready for uh, this interview. So I just, I'm just going to quick start with, I know you had, prior to the time you served in Congress, you served in the New Mexico legislature. Um, and so you've had some experience in the New, New Mexico House of Representatives um, for eight years, 2011 to 2019. So why would a nice person like you, why would you want to run for Congress? What drove you to do that? You know what? It's, uh, it's really uh, it's about my heart for serving people, and my story is not unique. You know, I got into uh, more into politics after 9-11. I think many people across this great country knew that fundamentally our nation was changing, so I wanted to get more engaged, and of course I got involved in the local uh, party and so forth, and then ran for the House seat, and I understood that right away it was about, number one, relationships, it was about protecting our shared values, 
And so much of the work can be done without policy. I mean, a lot of it's connecting dots, uh, helping people with tax issues, with death certificates, with uh, property rights, things that really don't always have to go through the legislative process. And I just, I felt compelled because I knew too many times it, the system's not working when when voters or Americans have to reach out to an elected official to get an answer from a state department or from a federal department. And so it truly is about it's truly about serving the American people. I love that message about a servant and actually that one uh, member of Congress I knew had uh, one of his supporters was often saying about him. He has a servant's heart. I love that expression, you know, a, a heart to serve the people, not rule over them, which is I, unfortunately, it seems a reason some people run. They really, really like being in charge and kind of ruling versus serving. So, but you joined the Freedom Caucus, which uh, you heard me say a moment ago, I am very supportive of. I love their I love their spirit. I love their commitment to what I see as the founding ideas. But when you joined Congress, uh, why did you decide to join the Freedom Caucus? Well, it was just a no-brainer for me. Um, I ran, obviously, for this seat in 2018 and had members of the Freedom Caucus. And the one thing I always told people, I said, listen, they may not always be on the side of the administration. They may not always be on the side of things that we think make sense, but they are 100% on the side of the American people at all costs, standing for what is truly right, our Constitution, our, our values, of free markets, limited government. These are just such great qualities. Of such a joy to have their support, obviously, running in 2020, and then being a proud Freedom Caucus, and I couldn't be more proud to, to be a part of such a, an elite, I say elite group of individuals, because these these the ones, the patriots, if you will, that are putting the Americans first. And that's, that is missing in Washington, D.C. As you know, you see what's happening with everything. So it's just really uh, pleasant to be with one like-minded people and in a group of folks that really understand what makes our country <clears throat> so special and our Constitution. I love that. You're going back, uh, fading out back and forth a little bit. I, mean, I want to keep going because I'm so glad we have you. So um, I, I will just deal with that. And if it becomes too much of a problem, I'll let you know, but you're fading out a little bit. But uh, so I, I oh. agree, agree with that spirit of the Freedom Caucus and the idea of just committed to the freedom and the individual of uh, the rights of the individuals to live in freedom. And um, and that gets lost sometimes in Washington as they're juggling policies and debates and trade-offs and legislation. People say, no, this is my voice. But I also think it's a brave thing to do because I know that there are some uh, people in media uh, and in politics who look at the Freedom Caucus as kind of the troublemakers, the ones who won't just go along with leadership, whatever leadership says, that's right. what you're supposed to do. do and, but to me, that is, that is kind of, it, it is almost like being a servant to the ideas that you said you would represent. So love that spirit of it. If you say anything more with the Freedom Caucus, go ahead. Otherwise, I want to launch into what is the story in the border in New Mexico. But anything else you want to share about the Freedom Caucus? No, it's just exactly what you said. And, and they really uh, are viewed in different ways by some people. But sometimes when you stand up for what's right, you get that label and that's okay. Well, I love that attitude. Okay, so um, you uh, represent New Mexico um, in Congress, and obviously we have a massive controversy on America's southern border. I looked it up before I came here, and I'm not even sure if I remember the number correctly, but I think there's about a, 
is it 108 miles or so of the New Mexico, the state of New Mexico bordering on the country of Mexico? Is that is that about right? Yes, 180 miles. 180. Okay. And so the district, yeah, just to give the listeners um, some some idea, this this particular district it's the largest one in the country that's not an individual state. So it goes from the Arizona border to the Texas border, and then literally half the state, the whole southern half of the state. And so certainly the border plays a big part of the district. Okay, I'm so glad you said that. I should have, uh, shame on me for not looking up the map and realizing <laughs> the layout, that the geography of district. So all of the you know, people who around the country hear the border being such a big issue and dispute, they hear, especially if you live in, I don't know, Connecticut, North Dakota, or something where you're not dealing with the issues in the southern border, it may seem like a policy issue, but actually for you, representing the congressional, second congressional district, New Mexico, your, some of your constituents must see the border issues as personal and impacting their lives. Is that true? And if so, can you talk about that? Yeah, it's absolutely true. And it's a crisis. And even though the people that live outside of border states, they need to understand this problem is very real. And it, it is coming to a neighborhood near them very soon because right now what we're seeing is the influx of unaccompanied minors although they're being housed near the border they are starting really to push those uh, those individuals up into the interior but what they don't talk about on the news especially as it relates to new mexico is the ranchers farmers families the communities on on the border that see a great deal of lost property broken property stolen property uh, livestock illness you know, torn down fences, stolen vehicles. And in fact, what the media never talks about is there have been two incidents of kidnappings down there on the border of Americans, but they don't want to talk about that. You know, they don't want to talk about the the uh, the, the actual threat, even the, the harm's way that these individuals put themselves in to come into our country illegally. And it's time that we put the American people first and, and, and put back into place these policies, these protocols that the Trump administration had that were working for the American people. That's actually one of the things I want to get to. We've talked about in the show, of course, many times, the Trump policies in place during the preceding four years, including one, which is the Remain in Mexico policy, the idea that when you come across the border uh, and you are trying to enter America, if you're trying to enter under the argument that you believe you are entitled to uh, seek asylum, you have to wait in Mexico. This was the RIM, Remain in Mexico policy. Wait in Mexico until your case is adjudicated and they decide if you qualify for asylum. This was the most common sense thing, almost, I mean, like a, as one of my best friends in law school used to say, like a PGO, a pointed glimpse into the obvious, how obvious this was, this policy was waiting to happen. But we don't do that anymore. So have you seen a change in New Mexico based on the changes in policy put in place by the Biden administration as contrasted with the Trump administration? Yeah, 100%. I mean, you can see just watching the numbers, um, they've had more apprehensions. Every month it grows. And so in the month of April, they had 178,000. And right now in the country, they've released over 600,000 people, and that was not happening under the Trump administration by virtue of the Remain in Mexico policy, because now that's been lifted, like you just mentioned. So all those thousands and thousands of people that were remaining in Mexico have now been moved to the United States. And quite honestly, 
We just don't have the bandwidth to do the proper background checks. These people are being released with a, some of them with an ankle bracelet and a piece of paper that tells them when to go to court. They're not going to show up in court. And the other protocol that was very important was Title 42. This was the public health order uh, called Title 42, and it gave Border Patrol agents the ability to process those coming into the country illegally from Mexico or Canada, they could process right on the border and return them to the country of origin that they were entering from. And we, they had this tool available because pandemic conditions. And right now we're seeing thousands of people come across the southern border that are not being tested for COVID. They are not giving them COVID tests. And in fact, I was down yesterday at the border at one of the DHS facilities. They had over 4,500 children in this facility uh, 300 cases of COVID, yet they are not vaccinating the kids for COVID. However, they will vaccinate them for other things, but not for COVID. And it's just a disaster, especially for the states like New Mexico, who, number one, were one of the poorest states in the country. We've had over 2,000 closed businesses in our state because of COVID lockdowns. Our kids have barely gotten back to school. You know, we've really been hit hard, and now we're going to turn a blind eye to this porous border and think that it's okay just to let all these people through. It doesn't even make sense. And it's worse that we're not going to place the value of the American people above the value of those who are breaking our laws to get here. And the biggest thing that uh, people need to understand is the biggest winner in this entire scenario are the cartel. Because every person coming across the southern border is paying a price, four to six to $10,000 and I think the American people are being had. You know, we're just we're just being hoodwinked to think that uh, opening our border is, makes us this big humanitarian, you know, open arms country. We do care about people, but we care about our laws, and we should be caring even more about the American people who are paying for all of these uh, these these hotel rooms, these facilities, you know, the housing, the medications, all this money going towards the illegals that are coming here when in fact we're not even putting, you know, any effort into getting our homeless veterans off the street. That was so well said, uh, as my sister would say, sing it to me, that was so well said. I want to turn to, you had a, tw a tweet out the other day, which was uh, you sent a friendly little missive uh, to Vice President Kamala Harris. I sent that tweet to Matt, the wonderful producer. He's in quick play it for us. I want to ask you if you've heard back from the Vice President, but go ahead, Matt. Do we have that tweet? Vice President Harris, we do have a crisis at the border, and that's why I'm inviting you to come to New Mexico so you can see it for yourself firsthand. I'm also inviting myself to travel with you to Mexico and Guatemala so we can have real bipartisan conversations to address the issue and get to the root cause. So you'll be seeing a letter from me in your mailbox in the next couple of days and I look forward to your response. Okay, I love that. You know, that was really clever. So I'll start with, have you heard back from her yet? No, not yet. We have not heard back from her at all. Okay, and also you made allusion to it, but on a serious note, it, for my listeners, and I know we talked about this before, but President Biden, uh, because he can't deal with or doesn't want to deal with the problem, uh, said he was putting Kamala Harris, Vice President Harris, in charge of the border. 
I believe she has yet to visit the border, which is one issue. But secondly, she has started saying that the pro she is going to travel instead to the countries which, whose citizens um, are making their way up through Central America, through Mexico, and trying to cross the American border. Uh, that way, she wanted to visit them first and get at, in her term, root causes, which she recently announced that appeared the root cause of the border, the influx of people trying to cross the American border, was climate change. Uh-huh. Okay, so I want to ask first, Congresswoman Harrell, what's your thought about that? You think climate change is driving these people up here? Yeah, it, it, look, when in doubt, it's climate change. I mean, that's all they know to say in Washington, D.C. But here's the truth. And I said this yesterday at a press conference. This this is cruel. This is costly. And it's cowardice that our administration will not admit we have a crisis at the border. And the fact that she's going now to talk to the Northern Triangle countries, thinking that somehow she can find a solution when she doesn't even know what she's talking about since, one, she hasn't been down to the border and she will not take this crisis seriously. So it's just, you know, and, and when all else fails, climate change. I mean, I think we're getting really tired of, of hearing that rhetoric, but you've seen it and you hear it all the time. In fact, so many of the policies we're dealing with right now have to do with climate change. So um, it, it's not surprising that they don't want to address this. But what's unfortunate is, you know, all these children that we, we uh, were down, we didn't see them, but that were in this facility yesterday, they're just think about this. And this is what should really get to the American people. These kids are being, first off, they're being fed and housed and vaccinated and all these things. And, and I know there are people in my district who their children go to bed hungry every night. They live in their vehicles. They live under bridges. They are trying their best to provide for their families. And yet we choose to invest. And we are just a clearinghouse because the cartel has got this all under control. And then the Biden administration and taxpayer dollars, in fact, I said we're robbing money from taxpayer dollars to pay for an issue, a problem that shouldn't even be existing right now, but turning the blind eye again on our own kids. They're not talking about the illicit drugs. You know, the fentanyl has come, the amount of fentanyl getting into the country right now has grown over 600%. You know, they're not thinking about the war on drugs and what this will do to the American family, the American teenager. It's, it's just such a double standard. But I guess that's all in the name of climate change. Yeah, you're right. Climate change is the answer to anything. Any issue you can raise must be the fault of climate change. Um, I know you are uh, very busy and you have another thing to go to. I want to ask you very quickly if you still have time. One is you were part of sponsoring the PUMP bill, which I love when people in Congress think of these clever acronyms. PUMP being pausing, <laughs> unrelenting markups on petroleum, basically suggesting suspending the uh, federal gas tax at this point, given how high gas prices are. So first of all, did you get any Democrat co-signers? And second of all, is that bill going to go anywhere? We have not gotten any Democrat uh, co-sponsors yet. I don't know if it will or not, but certainly I think the American uh, workers, the Americans right now have been through so much over the last couple of years and we've just piled more debt on top of our our future generations this would simply take that 18.4 cents per gallon off of their you know out of you know they can save it at the pumps we won't let them pay that for six months i mean it has a sunset it's a six month uh, bill it would only be for six months once enacted or uh until all the uh, mandates are lifted in terms of these masks, these mandates in terms of the COVID, whichever is longer. But, you know, here's what I say. Wouldn't it be nice to go fill up your vehicle and be able to save, save 5 10 15 20 
uh, you know, every time you go to the gas pump and here we are on the verge of, you know, vacation season, people are going to start traveling. But what's, what's unfortunate is it's not a supply issue, but what we have here is the uncertainty. Uh, people are seeing now inflation. They're seeing costs rising. And I think this is a great way to let people keep some of their hard-earned money in their pocketbook and stretch it a little further and reinvest that money into their local economies uh, or into their savings accounts. Those are all just a great litany of arguments or, or uh, points in support of your bill. I love it. You're right. I think the American people would love it. One last question, and I'll let you go back to your work in Congress, which is, I love the idea of all of these conservative women being uh, newly in Congress, a Republican a number of women. I don't have it in front of me, but there were many new first-time elected Republican women who joined this Congress. So is there kind of a camaraderie among you all? Is it, is it, are, you, are you kind of a, a pretty well all connected? And actually, why do you think all these women ran and won in 2020? Do you have any idea what prompted that and what made them victorious this time? Yeah, it's uh, first off, the whole class was awesome. And so as a freshman class, we stay very connected, all of us. Um, but the idea that so many women ran, it's incredible. And I think what prompted women to run is just to realize that it's time we start standing up and be the voice and stop going along to get along. And I think a lot of these women and the backgrounds on all the women are so diverse and different. I mean, everything from pharmacists to doctors to business owners to grandmothers to you know you name it and i think it was just that collective interest in look our country is is the greatest country in the world and we you know it's worth standing up for it's worth fighting for and it's worth dying for and i think women in general started saying hey i've got a small business or i've got kids and grandkids and i'm tired of the way things are going and i think that um, americans just in general are tired of the way that the country's going i think the only thing the founders missed is term limits. I don't think they ever expected people to be in office for decades like we, we see nowadays. But I think just women in general just decided, you know what, it's time to get off the sidelines, get in the game. And it was a huge surprise. And this is a group of, I mean, every all the freshmen that came in for the Republicans are amazing people. The men are great too. But I think this is really good, you know, powerhouse uh, unashamed, very bold, and very smart women, and I'm very excited and, and just honored to serve with them. Congresswoman Yvette Harrell, this has been a great conversation. I'm so glad you happened to be available. I want to thank you for joining us. I know, thank you for taking time out of your busy day in Washington uh, on the committees you work on. I just couldn't thank you enough, and I hope we can do this again sometime. So thanks so much for joining me. Oh, let's plan on doing it again, and thank you for all you do to keep people informed. I have fun doing it besides. You're very welcome. Okay, folks, as Congresswoman Yvette Harrell, I put a link to her website up on our website, americacanwetalk.org, on the homepage under shows. Drop down list of links. You can link to her page. She's just a great new member uh, of Congress, and I love this. I just love this army of smart, conservative, activist, uh, engaged women being part of the process in Washington. And that's our interview, and now I'm going to turn to our first five. So, um, I have to tell you, this is the most amazing thing. To lead up to why I gave it this title, Biden Team Admits a Marxist Agenda, I want to start with Black Lives Matter. And we have talked about Black Lives Matter in the past and, and exposed, for example, and shared with you that much of their funding, you might think it comes from some, you know, uh, innocent little five and ten dollar donations from families around the country. And there may be some donations like that. It is heavily funded by Marxist oriented organizations. 
That's what Black Lives Matter is. I want to ask Matt the Wonderful to play a clip. Um, the woman who, among the two co-founders of Black Lives Matter, uh, one was Patrice Cullors, C-U-L-L-O-R-S. And she has been in the news recently in part because she, it was uh, discovered that she's made a lot of money running Black Lives Matter and she purchased, I think it was three homes, three lovely, nice homes uh, around the country. So she's making a lot of money for someone who said she's standing up for the people. Uh, and also, she is the one on tape where she talked about how she was Marxist trained and being asked, why are you, you know, what is Black Lives Matter all about? What are you doing? She said, yeah, actually, I'm, I'm Marxist trained. Black Lives Matter is a Marxist organization. I am not saying that every single person involved uh, is a Marxist. I am saying the money behind it, the orchestration of Black Lives Matter, the coordination of the attacks on the cities around our country, the rioting is not organic. It is funded, bought and sold, funded by Marxist forces in this country. What came to light recently was another video of Patrice Cullors. This one came from uh, some, a speech or a, a remark she gave uh, in a classroom at King's College in 2015. She spoke at, at a place, King's College in London in 2015. And I want you to hear what she had to say and then we'll talk about it. Uh, I joined the organization uh, when I was 17 years old. And I remember the first thing I said to the organization uh, was, do you fight police? That's what I wanted to do. I always knew I wanted to fight the police. They were the they were the, the sing, they were the single most um, sort of terrorist organization in, in my uh, life, and I wanted to know how to fight them. I wanted to know how to keep them hold them accountable. Um, so I started doing uh, work when I was 17 years old against the police, and uh, from there, uh, did different sorts of things. Ran campaigns that focused on trying to get them out of high schools ran campaigns that focus on decriminalizing um, young people's lives. Okay. I want to point out a couple of things. We're going to get back to the Biden administration and, and why I say they have now embraced this Marxist agenda of Black Lives Matter. She's talking in 2015. So, you know, George Floyd hasn't happened. I mean, many of the incidents that gave rise to so much tumult in our country haven't even happened yet. This is a woman committed and hating the police, hating on the police way back then in 2015. And notice one line she said. She said, she first of all, she refers to police, the police as the single most sort of terrorist organization in my life. And she ran campaigns on her words, focused on decriminalizing young people's lives. So what does that mean? It means they can they commit, commit crimes, but she wants to make sure there's no consequence. So if you just don't charge them with a crime or you keep the police at bay so they can't find out what these people are doing or you can't charge them with crimes, you've succeeded in decriminalizing these people's lives. Unfortunately for the rest of us, if crime is occurring and these young people are engaged in crime and she's successful keeping the police at bay, keeping them away, she's not protecting anyone except the criminals. She's not protecting American society. But she has this Marxist agenda going back that far. And so now, so this is still who's running Black Lives Matter, still, and she's doing as many Marxist leaders have done, as we had a whole show about some time ago, many Marxist leaders around this world, socialist, Marxist, communist leaders, when they take power, they are never part of the poor peasant masses who are impoverished 
by the Marxist policies they put in place. Socialism, Marxism, communism create poverty for the masses and with no way out of that poverty. It's the entire purpose of communism to make a level playing field, level all misery. But the people who put these policies in place, the people who engage in these revolutions and bring forth a new country under socialism and Marxism, communism, they're never poor. I ran, I had the numbers one time talking recently, there was, you know, Fidel Castro and his younger brother were billionaires, B as in boy, billionaires, as was Hugo Chavez. Hugo Chavez, the founder of Venezuela, who destroyed a Western civilization with robust uh, opportunity and economy and people with thriving and living in comfort, destroyed it. Got Venezuela to where it is today, where the people are starving. And he died a billionaire, B as in boy billionaire. So back to her, Black Lives Matter, happy person, Patrice Cullors, founds this organization, you know, puts all her statements out, proudly Marxist trained, now buying three houses for herself and her wife. And back in 2015, talking about how she, much she hates the police. I'm giving this background to say, Black Lives Matter is a Marxist organization. It may be that innocent Americans who have genuine grievances with police conduct in some cases, and there are cases in which the police behave in a wrong way, in an inappropriate way. There are cases that seem to imply that the police were engaged in racism. We deal with those cases, we investigate, we prosecute, but the agenda of the Marxist, the Black Lives Matter agenda is not to ferret out racism, expose it, urge prosecution of the police officer involved. That's not the agenda. The agenda now is to defund the police, to destroy civil society, to immerse our society into absolute dangerous chaos. You can't say, I support defunding the police, but I see you really love law and order. I swear I love law and order too. Doesn't work that way. When you want to defund the police, you're saying, I'm good with the crime and chaos that will ensue. You're trying to create the chaos that Marxists are always trying to create. So Black Lives Matter has a flag and the Biden administration decided, Biden administration under the Department of um, Secretary of State, Antony Blinken, by the way, his first name is A-N-T-O-N-Y, Antony. Anyway, Antony Blinken, who is our Secretary of State, sent out a memo in which he basically said they want all of the American embassies around the world, diplomatic and consular posts you know, postings in other countries representing America, which obviously had the American flag outside, to display the Marxist Black Lives Matter flag. This is coming from Biden's choice as Secretary of State to put out a flag that represents a Marxist organization around the world, to signal to the world <clears throat> that the Biden team, they're pretty good with Marxism, they're kind of okay with it. That's why they're supporting Black Lives Matter. So that happened. And then the, the memo, which was leaked by someone in the State Department. Uh, okay, this is one time I liked the leaks, even though I'm sure it wasn't supposed to be leaked. But in addition to running through, urging the consulates and the posts around the world, the embassies to put the Black Lives Matter Marxist flag out next to the American flag, the memo went on, this again from Anthony Blinken, Secretary of State, went on to say that they urged the representatives of America and these embassies and posts around the world 
to tout and brag about, to share essentially their pride in the Biden agenda. And in particular, they want him to laud, to praise, to speak out about Biden's executive orders, not just on race, but on helping their, and their term, lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, queer, and intersex people. So the LGBTQI agenda is also to be touted. An official statement from the Secretary of State around the world that this is part of what the Biden agenda, the Biden team are proud of. They go through the same kind of thing in, in, this, in this memo from the Secretary of State. Same kind of thing you heard in the 1619 Project. The We Hate America and You Should Too product, project. That's what the 1619 Project was out of New York Times and still is. We hate America and you should too. It's the same thing, the B, and, the, and the 1619 agenda is now being pushed in the public schools, as is the Black Lives Matter curriculum. Again, it's not simply an agenda that says we must attack racism. We must oppose racism. I would agree with that. I oppose racism. It is evil. And if there is conduct engaged in by police officers or anyone else, I want it exposed and called out. But that's not the agenda of BLM. The agenda of BLM is the destruction of America, just like the 1619 Project. It is an attack not on individuals who may have engaged in behavior that is wrong. It's an attack on the very idea of America. It's an attack on the entirety of the American history, the country of America, the very meaning of America. It's an attack on the founding of America. It's an attack on the, the whole uh, notion of a country rooted in the ideas laid out in the Declaration of Independence and later, later embellished and protected by the Constitution. That's what the, where the American left is. This is where BLM lives. This is where the 1619 Project lives. And this is where the Biden administration stands. This is the President of the United States through his Secretary of State, screaming a message to the world. We agree America is a bad place. We agree America is a racist country. We agree that American society deserves to be attacked. We agree that America deserves no credit, no, no honoring at all. It is a country to be vanquished, which is their agenda. And on the subject of critical race theory, which is another just intellectual attack on America, there was a meeting, an online meeting uh, of critical race theory supporters and uh, somebody released it. I don't know who did this, but I sent to Matt the Wonderful a clip from that meeting, the online meeting of the critical race theory folks talking about what they think about our constitution. Matt the Wonderful has that. Now inherently the problem with that is that when our constitution was built, our constitution was built on those founding principles, but was not built on those founding principles, including the humanization of marginalized folks. So you cannot cite our constitution. Our constitution should be burned because our constitution in and of itself is only written for who owned land? Men at the time, it's still written accordingly. Who was owned? Black folks. Those those amendments have not been ratified. You should read your constitution. If you're going to actually make these references, then you should know what you're talking about. There are still really oppressive amendments and languaging in our constitution that are inherently 13th dehumanized, Amendment. which means, right, which means the constitution itself is yeah. only rooted in enlightenment for white people, just like this country. So, to- Okay, folks, 
This is, obviously, these are not world leaders or state leaders. These are people on a call talking about critical race theory. But you need to understand, and this is going to be a great segue into my last segment for today, what that woman was saying is that America itself, our very founding documents, because it has language which certainly, if it were written today, would be written in different words, different language we use if it were written in modern parlance, but the Constitution itself and the various amendments were written, you know, hundreds of years ago and written in language then functional, then usable. But this is, when you hear those young people talk in that little, that little uh, exposed Zoom, like a Zoom call, what they're doing is parroting what they've been told to think about America. They're parroting what they've been told to think about by the 1619 Project, by the BLM movement, parroting this message that America itself is racist. And so therefore, the whole foundation of America is to be taken down, is to be destroyed. This is, I, I can't urge you strongly enough to get your arms around this idea in wrapping up this, this, uh, this whole, this first five and moving into my next segment. This entire argument that the left has engaged in for decades now is coming to fruition. You have young people who live with the mo in the most prosperous, abundant, bursting with opportunity, fair and just society ever to exist on the planet Earth. And that's what America is. But they've been taught because the Constitution contains language written in the parlance of its day, because at the founding of our country, we still had slavery and women couldn't vote and all sorts of other things were true that made America not yet perfect, that the answer is as she said, the Constitution should be, I think she said a bad word, but whatever she said, the Constitution should be destroyed. The Constitution should be burned. Understand that this, the ideas that get planted in the minds of people like you just saw in that Zoom call, these are very orchestrated, manipulated by forces that, that are unseen by the average person in America but it is intended to bring down, to destroy the very idea of America, not because it's a truly unfair place, not because the claims they make about it are true, but because there is a Marxist agenda to destroy America. They have to get Americans to turn on each other, to mistrust each other, to doubt each other, to hate each other. This is what the left is doing in our country and right in front of our faces. And that, I'm, as I said, I'm segueing into my third segment. I guess that's the end of my first five. So that, my friends, is my first five. But I want to turn to talk about where we are now. And this obsession with race is aiding and abetting the Marxists. And this is a really, really crucial point to get. We've talked in my show before how when the communists came to America in the 1920s, very much wanted to bring their brilliant, exciting Marxism, communism, socialism, ugliness to America. And they could not, they could see when they studied American society that America is so abundant, so much opportunity, so much uh, stability, so much happiness, so much upward mobility possible, so much, I mean, just so much good they knew they couldn't sell to the American people. You should throw away your freedom, 
your constitutionally based freedom. You should throw away the free market system. You should throw away the Constitution and capitalism and turn to this brilliant thing we're trying to bring you, which is Marxism, socialism, and communism, because the American people would say, why would we want that? Everything's great here. Not perfect. Yes, we always have, we have in instances, we have individuals who engage in things, individuals who engage in things not perfect, instances of things that happen that aren't right, and we try to correct them. But the early communists in America realized we'll never convince Americans to throw away their freedom. We have to tear this society apart in another way, and they settled on race. They settled on using race as a means of dividing America, and they've been doing it ever since. I, we talked many times, I can't go into the details of it, the Manning Johnson book I've mentioned to you, a black American who first heard the arguments out of the American communists. They were trying to lure Americans into communism by saying, oh, you know, this is so unfair. Look at this. The average black family has a lower average income than the average white family. And that's because of your entire system is terrible. That's because of capitalism. We're going to destroy capitalism. We're going to free the black American community. Join us. So Manning Johnson, young man, gets duped, goes in, joins the communists, spends whatever it was, 10 years giving speeches around the country, talking about communism when he finally came to realize that the communists were using him, that they didn't actually care about black America at all, that they had entirely cooked up a false narrative about American society as intrinsically racist for the purpose of dividing the society and bringing people into support of communism. But back to where we are today. So what the left has settled on and what they're using at this time in this ongoing unfolding before our eyes, Marxist revolution in America is an obsession with race, an obsession to discuss race, to become, to have the slightest little incident that may be viewed as somehow to be interpreted as a racial slight, to be uh, exaggerated, blown up, and, and created into a larger incident than it was. It is an attempt to divide America into silos or the, the, uh, the um, you know, silo of black American, Asian American, Hispanic American, whatever other groups you would say, Native American, and then to lump everybody else into the evil white supremacist silo, the evil white privilege silo. This is Marxist ideology being used today to destroy America. And I'll tell you quick stories about that. So Rick Santorum, you may know that name. He ran for president. I forget when, maybe, was that 2012 maybe? I can't remember when he ran. Anyway, ran for president. Um, and he's a very solid, uh, very well-researched guy, um, very serious, earnest, conservative Christian candidate. So Rick Santorum, uh, you know, obviously didn't win, and he has been, I, I mean, I can't imagine that this seemed like a good idea at the time, but Rick Santorum became a commentator on CNN, the radical leftist communist news network. So they like saying, oh yeah, we show both sides, look at this, we have Rick Santorum over here. And Rick Santorum said, hey, you know, pretty much they let me say what I want. You know, he's in the past defended them, said, you know, pretty much I'm the token conservative, the token patriot, the token American in this communist network, but they let him pretty much say what he wanted. Well, last month he gave a speech, it wasn't on CNN, it wasn't aired on CNN, but he gave a speech um, at an organization, which I will tell you what it was. Um, and the, uh, anyway, I don't know what the organization was, but he gave a speech in which he talked about uh, the founding of America. That was the whole point of the founding of America. He gave a speech to a conservative youth organization. And um, what he said essentially was, 
and talking about the creation of America, we birthed a nation from nothing. I mean, there was nothing here. I mean, yes, we have Native Americans. There isn't much Native American culture in American culture. That's what he said. Now, I've heard him be more articulate. I've heard him talk about the defending of the creating of America and unique, extraordinary greatness. But he had a passing line, which he said what I just read to you. So after the speech is over, of course, the left-wing militant crowd leaps into action. This is outrageous. He has been dismissive of, that was their term, dismissive of the, the Native American culture. And yeah, I guess he was. You know, he, he, didn't, he didn't make a comment about, well, they had their culture, we had ours. He didn't do that. He said what I just told you. So because he said, you know, essentially there isn't much Native American culture in American culture, you know, uh, people went wild calling CNN, demanding him to be fired, because after all, you can't say that. You can't say anything bad about Native American culture, which he even said later, he went on somebody's show and said, I was not trying to dismiss Native Americans. In fact, I mentioned them because, yes, they were here and they did have an impact, in fact, in this country. So he tries to say, you know, I wasn't dismissing them. I said what I said. Well, not good enough for CNN. They fired him. And he's out talking about, you know, he didn't mean to say that. But I raised a story not to say that everything Rick Santorum ever said was perfect or that this was perfect. You know, you have, this is an era of just heightened, heightened sensitivity. And the left is looking at every word uttered by every conservative in this country, looking for something to grab onto to pile on to say, oh my gosh, he said this. And then they do the, I mean, cancel culture doesn't even really begin to capture it. Cancel culture is really rough and really horrible. And it is the leftist determination. If one person, if someone says one statement out of line or they take one position inconsistent with the leftist orthodoxy, you know, the entire left-wing mob attacks them. The Twitter mob and then the mob that contacts all of the media outlets and says, you've got to cancel this person. You can't let them talk that way. And corporate America plays along with that. They surrender to the liberal Twitter mob, the liberal leftist mob in this country. And so, you can barely misspeak, and sometimes things that weren't even honestly intended to be or weren't, didn't even necessarily seem to be racist. If there's something that can be pounced on, something to be pounded on, the left does it and they shut them down, and CNN uh, you know, fired them because that was the easiest thing to do. I have another story about this, um, uh, but I'm going to save it for another day. I want to tell you another day a story about a young man, a 21-year-old uh, young guy in Michigan who is a college student who spent 83 days in jail because some leftist at his college campus grotesquely misrepresented and contorted something he said and, and, and ended up being charged with a crime. I'm gonna leave that story out because I wanna get this other thing, other observation about how the left uses race to push their Marxist agenda heightened racial sensitivity, obsession with race as your very identity. So you've been hearing stories, I'm sure, about, um, and now the uh, acronym is AAPI, Asian American and Pacific Islander. It's a reference to a certain group of ethnicities, Asian Americans and Pacific Islanders. And that AAPI acronym is very popular because there has been commentary about the idea that there has been heightened violence in America 
against people of Asian descent. Part of it allegedly tied to COVID and some people saying that we shouldn't be blaming China for the COVID virus, or we shouldn't be calling it the, uh, the China virus because that inspires some people to commit violence. And then there are other people saying, advocates for this, AA, this concern about AAPI are saying, well, it's not all related to COVID and people using the China virus expression. It's other reasons too, because we have a heightened racism in this country and we have many black, in fact, many of the incidents that get shown on air, shown online, people see them as black Americans beating up on Asian Americans. These are the storylines that are being shown that there's heightened violence, black Americans attacking Asian Americans. And so there's a, a cause coming out saying, look, we have to come together. We, can't, we cannot tolerate AAPI violence, stand up against this violence. And of course, everyone should stand up against violence of all kinds. We should all stand up against violence against people who are uh, AAPI, Asian American Pacific Islander. We should stand up against violence, against black Americans, against every, any other group. We should stand up against violence. But I raised a story today to make the point that this is the most amazing phenomenon to watch. How the leftist Marxist forces in this country are contorting this current issue into the argument, and this was college professors making this statement that Asian American and black and violence against black Americans, so Asian Americans and Black Lives Matter, uh, violence against people who are members of those groups is all caused by and fueled by white supremacy. And so even though the violence it, it, these, uh, the statistics are apparently showing the violence against Asian Americans is largely being committed by black Americans, but it's all due to white supremacy. And so now the big thing out there is, there is that the Asian American community should band together black America with BLM and they should stand up to fight against the white supremacists. First of all, any individual who actually and believes in white supremacy is evil and wrong. The concept of white supremacy, the supremacy of any group, any, any group based on race, ethnicity, national origin, skin color is false, absurd, and evil. There's no supremacy among any group, among, you know, bestowed on any group. We're Americans. But the reason the left loves these racial issues so much is because they can divide the fabric of America, the culture of America into silos pit them against each other, and then find the common enemy, which the left has now created, the common enemy, the white privileged, the white supremacist. It, it is, a, it is a, a recipe to destroy America. And the Marxist movement knows this. They are using racial tension to create and grow political power. That is what they are doing right in front of our faces. And it's actually been kind of interesting because for many decades, in fact, we've talked about at Harvard, there is that was litigation on behalf of Asian American students. So Asian American students were being admitted to Harvard in ex excessive proportions as compared with their proportion in American society. And that was because they were meeting the standards Harvard yet then, then had in place about test scores, grades, performance, you know, all the things that schools traditionally measure. There was a disproportionately large number of Asian Americans 
who were accepted into Harvard because they met the criteria Harvard had set in place. And then there was a lawsuit over, uh, filed by black students or an organization representing black students saying it's unfair that, that black students are being unfairly treated because Harvard is favoring Asian American students. And so the, I think that case still might be pending. There was, I think, a writ of certiorari. I don't know if the Supreme Court took it or not. It might, I'm not sure what happened in that case. But the cultural observation I'm making is that the defenders of the admission policy at Harvard, the Asian Americans were saying, what's wrong with merit? It's not racist to reward merit. If students are going through the school system and getting better test scores, better grades, whatever the other measures are they had, better performance as a student, that's not racism, that's merit. And so it's interesting because that has been the kind of tension historically between advocates for the Asian American community saying, what's wrong with merit and hard work and good grades and good test scores being rewarded and advocates for BLM and black organizations saying that there is that that's, there is just an overrepresentation, unfair overrepresentation in academia by um, Asian students. And so part of what the left is doing in this whole trying to pull AAPI and BLM together, and this is a very conscious thing you'll hear out of professors are talking about this idea, AAPI, Asian American Pacific Islander and Black Lives Matter uh, groups, they're advocating come together, lock arms against the alleged but non-existent massive white supremacist movement in this country. There is, by the way, there is no massive white supremacist movement in this country. None. There is not. There are small number isolated people who are evil people who may be white supremacists and they, there are hardly any of them. They are statistically non-existent. That is how small the real group of white supremacists, but the left needs an enemy to create support. And they need to manipulate the Asian American, they love this, that they found an argument that the Asian American AAPI community should lock arms with the BLM community and then turn on white America. This is what the Marxist mindset is doing to this country. And the answer for us is to not participate in that, to not indulge in it, to not agree that this is the America we face. America is a country filled with good and noble people of every race, skin color, ethnicity, and national origin, filled with good people who do good things, who stand for the right ideas, who try every day to love their neighbor as themselves, to treat other people fairly. And that America, the America, the real America, that was came out of the ideas of the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution and our whole history in our country of moving toward a better and better, more perfect union, that is the real America. And that is the America that must stand up against this relentless effort by the leftists to divide us along lines of race, ethnicity, and national origin, and then pit us against each other. We need to reject the entire effort of the Marxist leftist movement to pit us into groups and turn us against each other. This is what communists did in, in Mao, Mao Zedong's China. This is what uh, people did in the, in the Bolshevik movement and the communist movement in Russia. The effort to turn people against each other thrived in other countries and 
that is why they end up succeeding and selling their evil ideas because they turn people against each other. Americans of every race, ethnicity, national origin, skin color must stand up for the idea of America and reject the effort of the left to divide us by skin color, race, ethnicity, and national origin. That is not the real America, and that is not the vast majority of Americans do not want to live in the world the BLM Antifa advocates are trying to create in this country. They're trying to bring in Marxist control over our country by convincing us that America is a country full of hate. It's what the 1619 Project was about. It's what BLM is all about. Trying to convince us that we live in a country full of hate. And that is not the America for the vast majority of Americans. It's not true of the vast majority of Americans. We cannot let their efforts to divide destroy this country. I'll make one quick pitch before I turn to why it matters to you. I do this show Monday through Thursday at 3 p.m. Central Time. I've done the show since 2014, speaking up for America, for the right idea of America, for the unifying, for the for the liberty and the greatness of this country. I have had a sponsor and I appreciate that sponsor, but we're at a point that we need to, as patriots, as people who love this country, recognizes, recognize the forces are strongly arrayed against patriotic America. The leftists who now run Washington, who are using, pulling every string they can, using every tactic they can, to divide America, to destroy America, to harm our culture. The leftists are in full attack mode on the very idea of America. If you appreciate this show, you can join America Can We Talk. Go to our website, americacanwetalk.org. On the homepage, two things you can do. One, along the top, it says members. You click on members and up pops the join button. You can join America Can We Talk for a mere $5 a month or $50 a year. Feel free to give more, by the way. Feel free to donate more. That would be great. But as a minimum to join, and what you get for joining is access to our very special every single week on Thursday shows, our members-only shows, our very, very special members-only shows on Thursdays. They're done here, the same complex, different studio, in-studio audience, Q&A with people you would love to talk to. Q&A, it's always about preserving America. It's always about standing up for America. That's what we do every Thursday. It's a members only show. We've had fabulous guests so far on the Thursday shows. You can be part of it. And you're also part, if you join America Can We Talk, you're part of standing up and preserving this country because the censorship, of shows like mine, censorship, we talked about CNN, shutting out Rick Santorum, fairly prominent American, shutting down anyone that they can. The leftists will shut down conservative pro-American voices in this country. My show is dedicated and determined in standing up for the idea of America, the truth about America. I would so love your support, so consider joining, again, americacanwetalk.org. On the very home page, hit that members button, up comes join, you're joined, $5 a month, $50 a year, peanuts to be part of the American political conversation. I also urge you on that page to hit the subscribe button. We have a once a week newsletter that comes out. I give you links to all sorts of my, my interviews in the past week, uh, commentary, um, 
blog posts we make, uh, articles I really think you might want to read. It's a really great once a week newsletter. It comes straight to you in your inbox. I don't ever share that list with anyone, but I do find it and you'll find it a, bit, a great way to keep caught up in the news and to share my show with your friends because my ultimate goal is to grow this show, to help the show grow and become bigger, a bigger and bigger voice in America on behalf of preserving America. I close the show every day by telling you why the stories we talked about today matter to you. And so we start our show, very beginning of the show, Biden team admits Marxist agenda. Biden, Secretary of State, Antony Blinken issues a memo ordering U.S. diplomatic facilities to fly the BLM flag May 25th and beyond, ordering U.S. diplomats to laud Biden, Biden orders supporting the LGBTQI. They're into saying I now, the intersex agenda. Uh, berating and denigrating American history as a history of racism, dating back to George Zimmerman acquittal in the Trayvon Martin case. That's actually in the memo that was sent out. America has a, has a history of racism. Uh, the BLM founders on record in 2015 wanting to fight the police as a terrorist organization. The BLM charter called for destruction of the nuclear family and the end of free market capitalism. But hey, they're not Marxists. What are you talking about? The Biden administration is fully embracing a Marxist view of America. There is no chance whatsoever that the American people voted for this. The American people must rise to save their country. The ruling class won't do anything. And on the obsession with race, AIDS, obsession with race, AIDS and abets Marxists. Rick Santorum canceled by CNN for a speech remark suggesting Native American culture did not significantly influence the new American culture, which, you know, is a factually accurate statement, uh, but, you know, too dismissive, can't say that. Critical race theory advocates openly admit the desire to burn the Constitution. Leftists trying to unite Black Lives Matter with Asian Americans in a mass grievance against the farce of the massive white supremacy they claim exists. Yet Asian Americans historically have not embraced victimhood. The ethic of hard work, excellence, and achievement has led to great success in America. The Marxist agenda propaganda now sweeping America is not an accident. It is not the bubbling to the surface of long suppressed angst and animosity. It is a deliberate distortion and manipulation of the history of the American nation intended to bring about the destruction of this Judeo-Christian foundation of freedom. Americans must rise to denounce these lies and preserve their country. And that, my very fine friends, is America Can We Talk for today. You can email me at americacanwetalk at gmail.com. You can send in questions for our Thursday guest. If you are a member of America Can We Talk, you can send in questions via email. You can join our texting team. I'll tell you more about that tomorrow to send in your questions. Our guest this Thursday is Senator Jim DeMint, former U.S. Senator, now head of a great organization in Washington, and he has a new book out, and he is one of the wisest and most insightful senators. I love talking with him. Every time I talk to him, I love talking with him. He's able to put the complex ideas of Amer about America into terms that everyday terms everyone can understand. So he's our guest this coming Thursday. And I want to urge all of you, consider joining America Can We Talk. Consider joining, subscribe to the newsletter, whatever social media outlet you're hearing this show on, please like, subscribe, share, reach out to me, comment. We're having online, we're having a vital American political conversation about preserving America. And that's why I do this show, to preserve America, because America matters. 
and I'll talk to you next time. Can we talk truth about America? Can you